Redundancies and fossils. Swaddle your fragile masculine ego in bubble wrap. Mourn the passage of the halcyon days of yore. And pop a little blue pill before your final blaze of glory. This has never happened before, I swear. It's time to talk tall to me. I usually can just talk tall to you so easily. It's I'm just tired. It's embarrassing, but... I've got a headache. Yeah, I had too many glasses of wine. Welcome back. I am Omen Say. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tell to Me. An act of defiance against the ravages of time itself in which Nick and I, faces dripping with anti-wrinkle cream, squeeze into our tights for one last turn on the prog rock catwalk. In haughty defiance of God's will, we will discuss every single song ever produced by the iconoclastic, fantastic, elastic rock group Jethro Tull. Against all probability and even in contradiction to nature, we will work our way through the entire Tull discography. Though our musical metaphors may start to sag, and though we may slip further and further into the didactic dementia, we will... Kids these days, they don't don't make podcasts like they used to. You just don't. You just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you can't even make a joke these days. You know. <laughs> Omen. Yeah. This week, pretty big, pretty big week. It is. But before we get into the meat and potatoes, we're gonna dive in to some uh, a stack of correspondence. We are oh. we are behind. We're gonna try and plow through them. We're not even gonna small talk. I hate talking to you. We're just going to read correspondence. No small talk tall to you today. Nothing. Just the, the regular. Oh, here. Oh, look at this. Oh. Huh? I need more bullets. What? Why? The bird feeder's gotten out of hand again. Oh, man, have you been providing her bullets to begin with? I, I just as a stocking stuffer, yeah, but I didn't. I thought it was just for, for a hobby. What do you think you've been eating in your mince pies? Oh no, the, the bird, the the birds of of Mary, New York you're not, City. You're not supposed to take those those children's rhymes literally. That's. I mean, they they were created for a reason, and I think she might be the the explanation for that. It's <laughs> terrifying. Excited. Yeah, a warning poem. All right, Nick, what have we got there? Stacks of emails. <clears throat> Your emails, sir. We're going to start with an amazing origami artist on Instagram who follows us, Tancoda. Oh. Yeah, T A N K O D A. Go to his site. Um, He's an origami artist. It's amazing. Hey. Hey, what? <laughs> just that, hey. That, just hey. Just hey, origami. <laughs> hey, origami. Common phrase. So he writes on Instagram really quickly. Hey, so I just listened to today's Summer Day Sands. Great episode and one of my favorite tall songs, actually. Uh... One thing that has always stuck out to me is that last line, one set of footprints in the Summer Day Sands. Mm, yeah, we had a little chat about that line. Wasn't sure if y'all would touch on this or not. Now, it's definitely possible that this is me being Christian talking or just coincidence, but I can't help be reminded of the poem Footprints. And I meant to bring this up during that discussion. Yeah, I, forgot I did too. All actually. about it. That a framed print of that poem was hung in the Presbyterian church that my grandmother was associated with when I was a kid, and I remember reading it. So the the poem itself. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. 
one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints in the sand. Long story short, God says, Hey, I, I, did, I never left you. I was carrying you through those Indeed. hard times. Those were yes. my footprints. So interesting note about that poem. At least a dozen people have claimed authorship. Oh, really? Over it. Yeah. <laughs> but it does seem like it dates back at least to 1964. So it's, mm. you know, it's not totally outside the realm of possibility that Ian, you know, may have come across it. But yeah, uh, maybe not. It's possible, but it definitely made me think about it. Yeah, of course. Me too. He goes on to say, like I said, this could definitely be a coincidence, but the poem is very well known. If it was intentional, I don't have a clue what he was getting at. (laughs) Or I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is a very cleverly veiled song about his dissatisfaction with institutionalized religion. The aloofness, lack of loyalty of the girl representing that the church doesn't give what they promise their believers. Maybe it's trying to say that Ian was carrying the relationship. I don't know, but thought it was kind of interesting. I'd be surprised if Ian wasn't at least aware of the poem. Mmm, excellent, excellent yeah. observation. Thank you for picking up the slack. <laughs> we failed to mention that. He, he carries on. He's got one more right after that. He says, crap, still thinking about it, and that kind of makes sense. He could be saying that a man is initially entranced with a passion like love as he just discovers a religion or faith and is excited about what it promises. He begins to build plans around it like the boy did with the girl, but then she pulls out the ground underneath him and drives off to ensnare some other guy. There's only one set of footprints in the beach, not because she carried him, but because she really did abandon him and now he's drowning. It's still pretty far-fetched, and I hate the idea that this song isn't about a girl, so I don't really buy it myself, but if it's better, then I wish it did. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that we all kind of get, like, hypnotized by these songs sometimes and go down the rabbit hole, but I, yes. I do think that there's something there. I wonder if, you know, if that's, if that's the metaphor that we're using, does that make young Ian Jesus carrying the relationship? Possibly, yeah. I think, I think even if it's not a direct, like, pickup correlation— there, there may be some inspiration there. Certainly. Yeah, or or at least it's a it's a it's a reference that doesn't that isn't necessarily like a direct reference, but you know, a, an oblique. Yeah. Reference. Yeah. Now we have a little prescription for everybody. To see the kindly doctor. From, nice thing. That's good. From Doc Savage, you might be tickled by this list of Ian's favorite JT songs. Hey. I found it somewhere on the net and can't pull up the link just now, but it goes like this. A Christmas song, Nothing is Easy, A New Day Yesterday, Aqualung, Locomotive Breath, Songs from the Wood, Heavy Horses, Farm on the Freeway, Budapest, and A Birthday Card at Christmas. It was an interview he gave with some magazine from sometime in the 2010s. I pass it on without comment, except that I'm pretty sure my own JT Top 10 wouldn't include any of those. <laughs> Thank you, good doctor. That is definitely the medicine that we re- need right now. Yeah. Some of those are definitely in my top 10, though. Some of those are definitely in my top 10. Farm on the Freeway, Budapest. Oof, Budapest, Heavy them. Horses, Songs from the Wood. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Interesting, very interesting list. And then he reaches out after having finished the run of the War Child episodes, because he's still playing catch-up. Back in the teenage day when I obsessed with Tull all the time... This was my least favorite of their records. I've said before, though, that when you moms are enthusiastic about a particular song, or anything else come to that, the thing takes on a whole new level, and so it proved with War Child. Thank you very much for making me laugh and making me revisit another bit of my youth. Even more, thank you for introducing me to the bonus songs, most of which I had never heard before, never knew even existed. The instrumentals are fantastic. Tomorrow Was Today is a revelation, and Paradise Steakhouse is now on heavy repeat in my head and close to unseating Black Sunday as my favorite JT song. I love that song so much. I suppose I will have to start getting the Steve Wilson box sets, won't I? That ain't going to be cheap. One quick side note, I think you were spot on about Backdoor Angels. 
except that you could read it further as being Ian's first song about Shona, his very own ballerina. And if you have a ballerina fetish, it's kind of helpful when your big brother runs a ballet company. You know, <laughs> that thought did occur to me yeah. at one point. I'm glad you brought that up, So she, Savage. She did study ballet for 10 years, but he met her when she was working as a press officer for Chrysalis, just, just to be clear. Yeah, but he probably he probably noticed her turnout. He smelled he smelled the ballerina on her. Yeah, the, I think the dates yeah. just about chime for when he would have met her. So is she not the lone backdoor angel of the second part of the song, who, unlike the twelve arbitrary ones, is a genuine blessing? It reads <laughs> that way to me, but it has been said more than once in the past that I'm full of nonsense. <laughs> I've been listening to you all the time in an attempt to catch up with your timeline to the point where I'm beginning to dream your voices. Oh, no. (laughs) Dreadful. Which means that I'm laughing in my dreams. Congratulations to Omen on his wedding. May it last as long as Ian and Shona's. And his Ian impression is now really good, by the way. Oh, that's kind of you. (laughs) (laughs) That's your wedding present from Doc Savage. That's that's the best one. Okay, you, I believe, have an email as well. I have, yes. Ed F. Eddie Eddie F. writes to us a short little email, subject line, truly feckless! Exclamation mark. Yes, thank you very much. We are indeed. Message. Hi, Momes. More info on my two Tull concerts. I first saw them in September 93 in San Diego, which was a honeymoon present from my wife's relatives who live in California since we had just gotten married at that time. The second was in August 04 when Tull played in my tiny island of Malta. Malta, which we showed up on the Malta iTunes charts at one point. It's probably Ed. Gotta be you, Ed. Thank you for for binge listening and putting us on there for a couple of weeks, I think. We're not on there anymore, but but hey, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> he continues, go what is this? A bunch of asterisks and then go? I think it's I think it might be a curse of some kind. A, a molten curse that we don't know of. Yes, insert molten curse here. Go to your banter and excellent knowledge of Tull. I suggest you do a Rush podcast next. Yours in Tull, Ed. We have joked about Rage Rush to us. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I meant to do a count of how many Rush podcast, how many Rush songs there are, but they have just as many songs, just as many albums as Tull does. So wow. that would be quite the, the undertaking. But that's, what do we say, four years from now? I'm not ruling yeah. it out. You know, who knows where we are in four years? We will have to finish our dinner before we eat our dessert. That's right. Can't can't eat your... Can't eat... You don't... can't have your pudding if you don't eat your meat! Thank you, Mary. Thank you. That's, that's, that's from uh, Pink Floyd. It is, yeah. Yeah. Another brick in the wall, I believe. Mary was featured in Pink Floyd. It's crazy. That's, that was her voice, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why we have her on. That was her audition. Yep. Yeah, really impressive. Nick, what else do we have here? Two more emails, believe it or not. We've got oh my goodness. two more previous writer inners. Thank you so much. We've got... It took me forever to find this, but this is from a concert in 1980 where Dee Palmer speaks. Here she is David Palmer, but yes, I think this is the same voice on the minstrel in the gallery on the intro of the song where he introduces the minstrel to the Lord and lady. Let's see if I can get it to go here. It's it is a rough, rough recording. Let's hear it. I definitely hear my my lord and lady. I hear it's, that it's in absolutely there. the same voice. Yep. Definitely. It's got the same inflection, the same pattern. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a wonderful bit of Tolkienology. From Jacqueline. Thank you so much. So this is the last show with John Evan, Barrymore Barlow, and David Palmer. Jethro Tull live audio recording at the London Hammersmith Odeon on April 14th, 1980. Wow. Yeah. She goes on to say, also, I'm excited for the next album, Too Old to Rock and Roll. It's not one of my most favorite albums, but I do like the title song and a couple others on it. 
I mostly like it because it is the start of one of my most favorite bassists on Tull, Mr. John Glascock. Hmm. I know Ian probably wrote the song Too Old to Rock and Roll about himself. However, I also feel it is sort of a song to John Glasscock because he died way too young at 28 years old from complications with his heart due to teeth issues. Oh my. John Glasscock was in Tull from 76 until his death in 79. <gasps> oh yeah. My. He died at 28 as a result of a congenital heart valve defect, which was worsened by an infection caused by an abscessed tooth. Yeah. Wow. And in, in a September 1978 guitar player interview, Richie Blackmore said, John Glasscock is a brilliant bass player, the best in the business in rock. Wow. Yeah. Jacqueline, thank you so much for bringing both of those wonderful pieces of information to yeah, us. Yeah, it's awesome. And she just finishes with one line, sorry. One of my favorite other songs on the album is a bonus track called Commercial Traveler, which, by the way, we're not going to get into Commercial Traveler until we do a couple of excerpts from an album called Songs from the North. So you're not going to hear us talk about Commercial Traveler until 11 21 So you got to wait a little bit, but we'll get there. We will. We'll get there. And finally, one more. Thank you, everyone. We want to cover the love for everybody. We haven't heard anything from uh, our Anglo correspondent in a while. <gasps> John, bring in some serious knowledge. Love, love, love this. Hello, John. Hello, John. When I was listening to you and Omen talking about pan dance this morning... <gasps> which I first heard as part of the Ring Out Solstice Bells EP, something suggested a connection with Pan's people, who danced every week on BBC Top of the Pops from the late 1960s to the mid-1970s. Pan's people was a British all-female dance troupe that was most commonly associated with the BBC TV music chart show Top of the Pops, from the late 60s to the mid-70s, they appeared on many other TV shows in the UK and in Europe, and they also performed a nightclub cabaret. He goes on to say, I asked a googly friend who told me that Pan's people even appeared with Jethro Tull at the Rainbow Theater. And they were there from the 14th to the 17th of November, 1974, the Pan's People dancers from Top of the Pops appeared at these London shows. The, the song Pan Dance was written for these dancers, for these specific appearances. Wow. The set list was an intro, which was Pan Dance. Then it was Wind Up slash Passion Play, a Critique Oblique, Thick as a Brick, My God, Cross-Eyed Mary, How Much Is That Doggy, Skating Away, Wondering Aloud, Ladies with a Drum Solo, War Child, Sea Lion, Bungle in the Jungle, Aqualung, Backdoor Angels, Locomotive Breath, Hard-Headed English General, Backdoor Angels Reprise. It was also Martin's birthday. Mm. So at 74, what are we working with here? We've got Aqualung. We've got... It's basically just songs from Aqualung and War Child, it looks like. Well, and, and Critique Oblique. Oh, that's true. Passion Play. It's from Passion Play, yep. yeah. Yeah. So, Nick, I'm looking at some pictures of Pan's people, and mm -hmm. I am not surprised that Ian would want to write a song for them. Their costumes are really interesting. They 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 range from kind of like like what you think of as classic '70s disco to to kind of go-go outfits to some to things that are more abstract, and they look they look really lovely. So the image I shared is Ian with five of the dancers, all of whom have their breasts exposed, save for like maroon nipple covers. And they all look to be having a happy old time. <laughs> yeah, that is the most genuine smile that I think I've ever seen from the face of Ian Anderson. John goes on, one of the group, Cherry Gillespie, can be seen dancing to Salamander with yeah. Ian, Martin, and Barrymore on tambourine on those too old to rock and roll like TV spot videos. Wow. There are plenty of more Pan's People videos on YouTube to set your pulses racing. <laughs> Incidentally, I can still remember buying Too Old to Rock and Roll and Too Young to Die in a music shop in Hull when I was living a long way from home and was not very happy. I really liked it from the first time I heard it, and it lifted my spirits through the following months. So please be gentle with the songs on the podcasts. 
Thanks for everything, John. John, it's so good to hear from you. Thank you so much for that really amazing information. I'm just glad that we have listeners who really do the heavy lifting for us. Um, I, I, th- I and don't. There's th- no way that we would have known uh, of that's, this. That's it. We don't have we don't have the the back knowledge for a lot of this. So without spending all of our waking moments really deep diving, it's it has become a forum. It has become a collective of knowledge, and I I'm so grateful for everyone who is writing in and sharing this stuff that we just don't know about. Because yeah. then we can share that knowledge with everybody else listening who, who in turn did not know. And it's, it's awesome. It's become such a great, great platform. If you haven't seen images of the pans, people, do yourself a favor. Do a quick Google image search. They are lovely. And some of them are still live. And uh, so, wow. So much writing in there, Nick. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick break. Quick little commercial break. And we'll come back to discuss the song of the podcast. Sure. Welcome back to the Paradise Steakhouse. We've got PNDN's pancakes all night long. They're dripping in syrup. You won't have to eat ever again after you have them. Come on down to the Paradise Steakhouse and get your belly full of uh, special PNDN's pancakes. From midnight to 1 a.m., they come with a free cigarette. <laughs> huh. So, Nick. Yeah. Here we are. Here what we are is the song that we are talking to all about today? So, eight tracks in, we are finally talking the titular track off of this album, Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die. Before we listen to that, I want to say I've I never I never had this album growing up when like when 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 we first got into Tull. I don't think you did either because if you had it, I would have had it. We would have sure. made copies. So the only exposure I had to this song was the live album, A Little Light Music. Hmm. And I want to play you the the ending blurb after they played this song. I want to play you what what Ian said here. Yes, please. Thank you very much. I was too old to rock and roll. And uh, that was the reggae version of too old to rock and roll. Because Martin has just returned from the Caribbean. Since... No, it was not St. Lucia, that was me. Um, Antigua, Antigua you went, on holiday, to spend your money. (laughs) What a bummer, eh? But he met lots of fantastic women. Martin is a famous womanizer. Martin, each night, each night, Martin has over 200 women in his bed. Sorry, say bad. 200 women in his mind. Sorry, in his mind. In his mind. That, that's all. I just... Uh, that peak, it, peak Ian Banzer. Taking the piss out of everyone but himself. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I, I think Martin Barr deserves to spend all of our money in whatever way he wants that's to. That's right. And yeah, and, and that is... I, I'm alluding to... I didn't know how this song originally sounded. I knew the reggae version of this song. So my mind was a little blown when I heard the original. So, Well, lest we forget what the original sounds like, let's have a listen. Let's do it. (laughs) 
Omen. Nick. I'm going to say something probably not controversial at all. <laughs> okay, go for it. But musically, this song is a masterpiece. I, yeah, I, I, I really agree. I, I wrote in bold letters and circled on my notepad, this is one of the best composed Tull songs I think that there is. Oh my, my goodness. It's amazing. Gosh it's, darn it. I, there's so much going on. I mean, like, you know, we, we could spend the entire time talking just about the music without even getting into the lyrics. But yeah. just to point out some things that kind of make it stand apart from other songs. Typically, with a lot of the Tull songs, we have, like, you know, the kind of acoustic intro and then the and then the electric guitar comes in and things kind of, like, layer gradually. Mm-hmm. This hits you immediately with a bunch of instruments. Yeah. With Martin in the foreground with that incredible Yeah, I don't even want to call it a riff cuz it's 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 really like it feels more like a a a very tightly composed musical phrase. Mhm. Dum da dum da da dum da you know? And after that that really big flourishing intro, it does pull back a little bit. They do go back to that customary, like adding on bits and pieces, but it's that flourish really makes a hell of a difference. That that beginning, even with the pullback, though it you know it pulls back with like with some pizzicato strings, you know, as a transition point. Yeah. Dum, 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 dum. It pulls back to Ian and Martin with some Barrymore in the back, which honestly, if the whole song was just acoustic, electric and drums, great. Like those guys are all insanely talented. They are at the peak of their performance right now. This song would be beautiful. Let's not forget Mr. Brittle Dick himself, John Glasscock. Oh, that's right. Yep. Who for most of the song is really holding the line and really laying down a a very simplified baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is because so much is going on in this song because it is so layered it is it is very easy to to miss out on John Glasscock's work, but yes, of course he is ba- he is that backbone. He has that bass backbone in this song. And it's interesting, you know, if you look at the song, the tempo of it is is actually quite slow. Bum 2 3 4 Yeah. 2 2 3 it's actually really easy to follow that. You just have to listen for Barrymore's symbols. The Every four, he will crash the hell out of that symbol, and that's when you yeah. know you're starting over again. Yeah. So, so. Yeah, so, those, so that's a little bit about the instrumentation. We'll continue to talk about that as we go forward. But, I mean, also just the tune itself. Mm-hmm. Ah, it, it's so I, I know, I know. I, I As with every song, I, I gained a new appreciation for that song, never having listened nearly as, as focused as I do for this show. But gosh darn it, this song is... There is a reason it's been on every top 10 list and every best of and all of that, even though the rest of the album has really fallen by the wayside. There's a yeah. reason this song is respected and loved. I feel like it takes you through a series of of plateaus that just keep rising and, and changing unexpectedly. You know, you have the first yeah. kind of portion of it. <laughs> which is beautiful in itself. And then we move into the and it's like, oh, it's it pulls, it's pulling your heart. It's very difficult to separate Ian's voice from from the instrumentation. We lyrics aside, we can I think we need to look at his voice as an instrument in this piece. I think this is his Kind of an example of his peak singing, really. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think th- his voice is the. This is a, an example of it being really well matched mm-hmm. to what he's doing, and he's 
He seems relaxed in it. He's not trying to put on a character. He's not trying to put on a kind of a voice. You know, it still has the sort of bizarre Andersonian scansion that, you know, wouldn't really work if anyone else sung it. Yes. But it comes off as less awkward. It comes off as natural in this song. It really, it really, really does. And it, I think that speaks a lot to how personal this song is to Ian. Mm, yeah, or maybe just how much work he put into it. Or, or that, also that, yeah. It it takes a lot of work to write a musical. It sure does. And on top of that, this is your main anthem. This is the title of the musical itself. It better be good. <laughs> I wonder how much collaboration there was with Dee Palmer on this track, on this song in particular. Yeah. Because I know that this this album was composed in a slightly different way than most of the songs, most yeah. of the albums that we've had before. Mm-hmm. I don't see anything in terms of... Accreditation? Yeah, other than the fact that it just says it, it was written by frontman Ian, so... But we also know that they spent some time in a, in a Swiss chalet, I believe. Yes. I, yeah. This was recorded in... It was recorded in Monaco. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they went... They had like a, a couple of weeks in, a, in the mountains somewhere where they were writing the songs and composing. Yeah. And just in terms of reception, critical reception here for this song specifically, like we read last week, David McGee... He was very critical of the whole album, but he says this song, quote, a textbook example of the use of dynamics and nuance in a rock song. That is perfectly put. Yes. How? That's the one time we'll say that about Rolling Stone. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that really captures it. But it's true. Every single phrase, there is some little detail, whether it's the strings, you know, doing a little cello line mm-hmm. or the the kind of quartet sound or the pizzicato or whether it's, you know, a little detail of percussion or, you know, a little later on, we get the brass section. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That, that first the first chorus. We start with the brass. Yeah. Now it's Those horns are fun. Bow, fun. Bow, bow. Yeah. And then what's what's that instrument that that's like way down? It's like when I can't do it. <laughs> I'm 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 not sure. Is it in the chorus? Are you saying or? Yeah. <laughs> Don't put that in. Is it is it not the is it not the bass? It sounds like maybe a. a a baritone sax or something. If I heard in there what I think you were saying, it's definitely the sax, yeah. But it's so much fun. And some of them own a little sports I also want to say on that second listen through, I'm ashamed I did not notice the bass because goddamn John Glasscock, so good. Jacqueline, you are right. He is a darn good bassist. And it's so smart what he's doing because for most of the song he's really going like doom 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 like hitting those those quarter notes and mm-hmm. then when it breaks down at the very end when you have John Evan come in with that da, 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 yeah the bass goes off no Yeah, even in that first chorus, I think, when the, when everybody kind of opens up and it feels like a, a blossoming of the song, he goes he goes pretty crazy there, too. Yes, it's true. Oh, 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 the rock and roll. Oh, oh, but Listen to this song several times. Pick an instrument that you want to focus on and listen to it. And by golly, is that good? You Holy don't need cow. any other kind of entertainment. You don't need to go to a theme park. You don't need drugs. No way. You just need Ian Anderson. So this song is, gosh, five and a half minutes long. Mm. At the second verse, we get the strings coming back in with our D. Palmer sweep and some pizzicato in there as well. Really nice. 
And then that third verse, we get the female voice. Did you catch that? I did. Yeah. yeah. There's like a, a female harmony. And then it comes back at the end mm-hmm. in almost a, a chorus. She opens up too. Yeah. And that's Maddie Pryor from Steel Eye Span. Oh. That is the one who Ian, I think, helped produce and was a guest flautist on a couple of her songs, the album called Woman in the Wings. Wow. Yeah. So they were really they were really pulling out all literally all the stops oh, for sure. this song, bringing yeah. in everybody. And I could I could surely see like a, a Greek chorus in the background of this Absolutely. song. Absolutely. This is yeah, this mm. Mm, I'm trying so to see good. if there's anything else that I have uh, musically. I mean, uh, I mean, there's just so much. There's so many details. I love the horns. I don't know. They're so good. I don't know when the last time that we heard uh, horns in a tall song was. A full brass section. Yeah. I mean, it's predominantly just been sax here and there. I, I, I don't think we've heard a brass section. I love it. I mean, it's, it's just it adds such a fun dynamic to it and it, it just opens it up it makes it ugh it, 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 it fits this is, really this truly, well like you said it's a masterpiece <laughs> it really is it really really is shall we talk a little bit about the lyrics Nick I think so yeah the tragic end that everybody saw coming to to poor Ray or is it or is it so let's look at our cartoon yes so this is this this is the second page so we've just had ray lomas reminiscing about the days when he used to be called the big dipper correct yep and then there's a panel of him sadly walking through a crowd where people are kind of staring askance at him and he says he says home and then he's sitting somewhere with a cigarette and he's imagining he has a little thought bubble in which there's a motorcycle he says i've got to get out of here I've got to get Doris and take off. So then there's the next panel. He's, he's got his hands on the handlebars of a motorbike. He's got his helmet on. He's got a kind of an aviator scarf. And he says, come on, Doris, baby. Don't let me down after all this time. So, so Doris is the name of his bike. Doris is the name of his bike. And then gotcha. there's a wonderful kind of page-long panel that shows him on the motorcycle in various kind of shots, all of which is underwritten with this big red varoom and he's thinking to himself women all they want are washing machines pills and <laughs> nylons and bedspreads pills shit that's what he says okay and then you see a little speed marker that says 70 i assume that's miles per hour but it could be kilometers actually and then you see his horrified face and a big and then the next panel is Smash. The potential um, untimely end. Or maybe timely end, to be honest. The the, (laughs) The timely end. The past time end. (laughs) So, with that in mind, let's get into the lyrics. Yeah. The first stanza, if you will, is a description of the old rocker. Yeah. Which, at this point, we've seen on stage, even if we don't have specific details, we... It's safe to presume we know pretty much what Ray's looking like here. Yeah, and it's and he's he's the image of this 1950s kind of classic rock and roll. Death's head belt buckle, double sewn seams. That's a reference to the kind of jeans that they would wear. Post-war babe gloom. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were the born, you know, right after the right after the war or during the war, so they were young, you know, in the in, yeah. the, in that era. They were the first generation after the war, yeah. Right. 
And then it says he's too old to rock and roll, but he's too young to die. And let's just, Nick, can we break down that phrase for a second? I think that is a very good idea. I think we've kind of skirted over that for a while and kind of assumed, but I think it could not hurt to to really dissect it. This is an example of Ian's better writing, I would say, Mm -hmm. just because it's a phrase that rolls off the tongue so easily and yet contains so much within it. Yeah, it's it's easy to be like, okay, I get it, without thinking too hard about it. But the more you think about it, the deeper and sadder it gets. What does it mean to be too old to rock and roll? Well, presumably you society has deemed that you should grow out of your... I guess at the, at that time, the rebel age would be a rock and roller age, you know, uh, sure. James Dean, the Fonz, et cetera. Yes. This, those are my, my cultural references. Thank you. <laughs> so at some point, you grow up. You grow up. You stop going to see concerts and you stop being a rebel and you settle down. Yeah, he's too old for all that. He's too old for all of that, yeah. However... The opposite of being too old for something is being too young for something. And it's not the the premise is not a dichotomous two sided coin. It's not if you're too old to rock and roll, you then should dead. be dead. There is this limbo period right. where you do settle down, where you have a wife and kids and a dog and a picket fence and you, you have a desk job. And for Ray, that is not an option. Yeah. Or certainly it's it's never an option that he considered or, or, or wanted. He's too wrapped up in his identity as a rock and roller. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then kind of scoping outward from that, you know, into a, into a broader meaning of that phrase, I feel like rock and roll in that context is a little bit of a metaphor. Okay. So, like, I think each of us has something which is rock and roll to us. Okay, it it can be applied to anything. Yeah, I think, you know, let's say for a minute that rock and roll metaphorically is a certain relationship with life where you are enjoying it, where you are living life to its fullest, Mm -hmm. where you are using your unique talents and individuality to your benefit. And it is a, it is really focusing on, I think, a, a me first and me alone attitude. Yeah, definitely. As opposed to contributing to society or or thinking about a family, something like that. Right. So like you said, that limbo period between living life to the fullest extent that you can and death is horrifying. It's like it's like then you're in prison. You're in you're in a prison right. called existence. If you can't adapt and can't rewire your brain to be comfortable and and enjoy this next step it's going to be torture absolutely i like to think of it as too old to podcast too young to die i (laughs) i think we're now just old enough to podcast just old enough we've got some time we'll be good we uh we got our podcasting license finally (laughs) (laughs) yeah we've we've been doing pirate podcasts the last two years so so he so then after that chorus he goes into there's sort of a comparison between his old life and his you know c- contrasting what his ideal life is with with mm-hmm. where he is and where all of his friends are. Right. It's either all of the guys that I was a rock and roller with are now doing this or I could even see it as like Almost, it's a wonderful life where he's he's envis- envisioning what life could be, but but the opposite, like it, it could, could be. Yeah, I think so. It's just it's something that he in no way wants. You know, the end of this song obviously ends with his, you know, with a with this big crash that that seems to be implying his death, mm-hmm. and so I, it's almost as if this whole song is his life flashing before his eyes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know, in seeing the past and seeing the present, seeing the future, all. Altogether. So he says he once owned a Harley Davidson and a Triumph Bonneville. He once had a Harley Davidson and a Triumph Bonneville. 
Those, of course, are both classic motorcycles. But he does have a motorcycle still. Yeah, but it's probably old and needs some work. Yeah. Whereas he owned those motorcycles when they were new. Right, in in his prime, yeah. And he counted his friends in burned-out spark plugs. Ooh. Counted his friends in burned-out spark plugs. That's very interesting, very unusual metaphor. It's poetic that fits perfectly with the whole overall feeling. Burnt-out particular being an, a nice choice of words. Yeah, and there's the kind of dual implication that you know, he spent so much time on his bike that he could literally keep time mm-hmm. and mark his existence by how many spark plugs he had burned out. And they are replaceable. They are disposable, maybe. Sure. And the sense that he was, you know, the implication that he was living life so hard that he was just burning out everything around him. Right. And yeah. He was on fire. Yeah. N- nobody could keep up, not even his spark plugs. <laughs> Right, exactly. But he's the last of the Blue Bloods greaser boys. Yeah. But he's the last of the Blue Bloods greaser boys. So I looked up what Blue Blood means, and it, it actually means, it usually has a, a connotation of aristocracy or yes, nobility. royalty, huh? So I think what he's implying here is he was... The king of the greasers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he is the longest run. He's the Queen Elizabeth II. He is still hanging in there. (laughs) Exactly. Nobody else is around. He did not, unlike Elizabeth, he did not procreate. So there is no one to take on the mantle once he's gone. He was Danny Zuko. And now all the rest of the the greaser boys are, oh, well, we see in the next line. And this this is such a... A fantastic little line here. All his mates are doing mm-hmm. time, i.e. in prison. Right. Married with three kids up by the ring road. And all his mates are doing time. Married with three kids up by the ring road. Yeah. There are some people who present day see being married and, and having kids as... As being being held down, being tied oh, down, and sure. in prison. You know, yeah. there's the old the old expression referring to one's wife as the old ball and chain. The ball and chain, yeah, which is pretty messed up if you think about it. But uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it kind of there's the there's the joke about all boomer humor is based around I hate my wife. Yes, I, I mean that's that that was stand up comedy from the '90s. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I can think of any number of really kind of horrible jokes based you know based on that uh-huh. so he sees what all of his friends have done as prison right yeah and and then he 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 goes through the list i mean they they sold their souls some of them own they own little sports cars but they're like midlife crisis little sports cars they're not they're they're not a, a rad harley or an old muscle car yeah it's like a it's like a pale shadow of the real thing yeah, they want some semblance of of what they had, but they can't do much more than that. But it has to be safe. They uh, yeah, exactly. They go they go to tennis club dues. They drink drinks on Sunday there, but they go back to work on Monday. And most importantly, thrown away their blue suede shoes. The betrayal. Blue suede shoes. Elvis song for perfect reference for the era. Totally, absolutely. Oh, but don't you step on my blue suede shoes. Well, you can do anything but take me over my blue suede shoes. You know, and actually Elvis is a great thing to bring up here because I think that the implication with all of this, you know, like burning through the spark plugs, the sort of implication is that lifestyle was so hard and so fast mm-hmm. that everyone who was a part of that either died young. Uh-huh. James Dean, yeah. Or got out of the life. Yeah. And I love the implication that, you know, they're not only in prison because they're married, but they literally are, have sold their souls. They're in some kind of moral. It, it's purgatorial. Uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And so he is the anomaly because he didn't sell his soul and settle down by the ring road. Right. In the, you know, in the, 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 new, the new construction homes that all look the same. And he's not dead. Yeah. So he is 
I guess for all intents and purposes, he is a rock and roller, you know? I mean, even though he's, by definition of this song, he is too old to be a rock and roller, he is he still is technically one because he has not crumbled to societal societal structure, I guess. Right, but he's also too old to do the only thing that he's good at. Yeah. And so I, I, I almost read it like, He's viewing himself as a mistake. Mm. Now, how is this allowed to happen? Why am I why am I not dead if I can't rock anymore? Yeah, yeah. So for him, it is that two sides of that coin that he should be one or the other. Right. And yeah. and and since he's not able to rock and roll, he should be dead. Then we get into that last yeah. chorus. Can you explain? There's one line that I just can't understand on this one. Sure. So the so the old rocker gets out his bike to make a ton before he takes his leave. So the rocker gets out his bike to make a ton before he takes his leave. What's making a ton? I read it as making a ton of money, but that... It doesn't fit. I think it's sort of like... I read it as sort of making a big impression or like getting one last ride in, making a ton of making a ton of noise, making a ton of miles under your belt. Okay. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I wonder if it's a a phrase that we are just not privy to. You know, I'll make a ton. Like yeah. That always that always implies to me money. Maybe in his mind, he's so upset that it's it's sort of like uh, this is his last big blaze of glory, as if it's a concert, as if he's giving a performance. Have you seen the musical Pippin? I have not. So the whole the whole premise of Pippin is there's this young prince who is trying to find his purpose and there's this magical player this you know it's it's all in the context like the whole world is the world of performance. And at the end of it the per, the player is like, you know, if you really want to find meaning, you should do this one last act and it's going to be amazing and everyone will love you and the last the act is to commit suicide. Oh. And he almost does it. And then at the very end, he's like, wait a minute. No, no, I'm going to go and live with this nice lady that I met who has a, a child and, and settle down. And the player's like, mm. but what about glory? Yeah, your legacy. Yeah. Yeah, literally. And he's like, no, I'm going to give all that up. Huh. And the world crumbles. And then he sort of ends up happy. This is that moment for me. He's like, I'm going to literally I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory and everyone will remember me. Yeah, because the only other option is to, to live, to languish. For yeah. how long and get nothing out of it. Yeah. So then the next line, he says, up on the A1 by Scotch Corner. So this is a little interesting bit of geography for you, Nick. The A1 is one of England's highways. I looked up where Scotch Corner is, and it is very far north. It is four hours and nine minutes drive from London. Whoa. It's up past Leeds. It's almost in Scotland. Okay. Uh, or it's it's a little bit from Newcastle, and then I think after that you're pretty much there's a bit more of England, but you know you're pretty close to Scotland. Sure. So he really went for it. Yeah, I mean he put the pedal to the metal and and just ripped and and went until he couldn't go any longer. He he rode Doris for all she was worth, and she was worth a lot. She was I, worth, I would say, uh, about, about four hours. 300, and... Yeah, 300 miles. <laughs> and he hits the truck road doing around 120. That's quite fast. Yeah. With no room left to brake. Then he hits the truck road doing around 120. With no room left to brake. So then the question is, you know, was this in how what was the level of intent here? Was he like, yeah, mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to go and do this very specific thing? Or is it just like he was riding so fast to kind of get away from his feelings well, that he lost control? Yeah. As he flies, tears in his eyes, his mm-hmm. wind whipped words echo the final take. And as he flies, tears in his eyes, his wind whipped words echo the final take. So he's mm. he's having an emotional moment and and it's either what are those wind whipped words is is he saying goodbye is he just lamenting and he 
stops paying attention and therefore loses control, it, I think this is really open to interpretation here. Whenever I have an emotional breakdown, Nick, I try to do it when I'm not driving a vehicle at 120 miles an hour on a highway. Right. I mean, you you weep in the Abarth, but you're driving in New York, so you can only go like... Yeah, I only weep when I'm parked. My, my favorite place to have an emotional breakdown <laughs> I, is, the, I only weep. is the bath. <laughs> is that... Can that please be a bumper sticker? I only weep when I'm parked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I make others weep when I drive. Oh, so bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the the bath is the safest place to, to have an emotional breakdown. Yeah, highly recommend. Yeah. So, and then we have the repeated chorus. He was too old to rock and roll. And then, you know, we have the the breakdown musically. I almost I almost see it as like, you know, if we're imagining the stage play that however they stage the motorcycle, that it, it goes abstract and like we see the motorcycle ascending to heaven in various parts <laughs> and the Greek chorus comes out and... And he's like welcomed into the gates of the afterlife. He's in his his rocker version of Valhalla. Sure. Okay. I like that. Rocker Valhalla. Yeah. Rockhalla. Mm-hmm. Valraka. Valraka. So this is a this is a happy ending? Question mark? I'm not saying it's not. I I, I think that's a genuine question. Hmm. And you don't have an answer. I think that it's what he wanted in that moment. I think it is the, it's the logical conclusion that he came to. It, of course, it's not the end of the story. Right. And then the other, the, the fun thing with this, and the thing that I find so strange about the composition of this song is that it ends with this implied death, this implied suicide. But then the last couple of choruses, he switches it to, no, you're never too old to rock and roll if you're too young to die. It flips it on its head. Yeah. Which I love because it ends it with this note of hope. And, you know, contrary to what the story is telling us, it, it kind of leaves me with the sense of like, oh, if you ever feel like you're too old to be to do the special thing that you're good at, nah. So, but does that mean that he made a mistake? I got it. Give it to me. You ready? Yeah. Take for your consideration one Ray Lomas speeding along on his Triumph Bonaventure. On the A1, he has decided that he's too old to rock and roll. But is he? Find out in the Tully door. Okay, so he has reached this logical conclusion. I'm too old to rock and roll, but I'm too young to die. But if I'm too old to rock and roll, then I should be dead. Right. So, he crashes his motorbike. He ascends to Rock Hala. Uh-huh. And the divine spirit of rock and roll tells him, Oh, no, 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 Ray. Oh. You are mistaken. Okay. If you are too young to die, then you are not too old to rock and roll. I am sending you back to Earth to continue rocking. Do you know the thing, what do they call it? You know the thing where atheists gain religion in the in very dire circumstances? Deathbed Christians, I don't know. I, yeah, or battlefield conversions, I think. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's sort of the, mo- the thing that's happening here. He's like, oh, yeah, I just want to be, I, I'm done with life, man. I'm just going to ride my motorcycle. And then he starts to crash, and he's like, actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I could make this work. Let's, I could make, let's do this. <laughs> you know what? I've made a terrible mistake. Give me one more shot at it. So yeah, does he does he actually have an afterlife experience or is it really just chemicals and neurons firing in his brain to make him feel this way? I would ask, what is the difference? Exactly. Yeah, right. If I were staging this as a as a directeur, Nick, as a metteur en scène, I would want this to be a you know, out of body almost end of life experience. Yeah. And the angel the angel has his voice or something, so it's even more opaque. The angel has 13 arms and is playing six different Stratocasters. And he, he goes insane and it has like 90 eyes. Isn't that what angels look like yeah. in, the, in the Old Testament? They're just <laughs> exactly. like super weird. Yeah. yeah. They're really just like great old ones. Yes. Cthulhu and, and the like, yeah. I think it's great. You know, I, 
I would love to see him ascending the plexiglass lit staircase and, you know, dancing with with whatever divine entity you have. And then the entity like sends him back down as the skate as the stage goes dark on that last course. And then you wake up in the hospital bed, which we'll get to, obviously, next week. Yeah. <sighs> wow. OK. Question for you, Nick. Yeah. Have you ever felt too old to quote unquote rock and roll? So if by rock and roll, you mean play in the ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese. Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. The management has made it abundantly clear (laughs) that I'm too too old for that. Too old to rock and roll in that pit. Yeah. However, I mean, I've never felt terribly age gated i guess i mean i still play video games i still play dungeons and dragons i still play board games you know like i don't feel like i've aged out of a particular thing yeah however i i have had plenty of instances of like imposter syndrome and being too much of an introvert to feel comfortable in certain situations sure (laughs) but that that is very different yeah definitely you have had that feeling have you not I have sometimes, you know, I, I, as I think we've mentioned, I have, I come, I performed for a long time uh, on stage and Mm -hmm. a lot of the roles that I had tended to be very, very, very physical. Yes. Okay. With a lot of jumping Mm -hmm. off of things. (laughs) And the last time, the last summer that I, that I performed, I did, I remember I was like, squished into a trapdoor under the stage ready to make my entrance which which was leaping out of the trapdoor like three feet straight up into the air and then landing on the stage and then like leaping from there onto a block and I remember thinking you know (laughs) this is not as easy as it was five or ten years ago (laughs) yeah 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 like a physicality certainly makes you makes you aware of your age but I don't, I don't think I've ever felt like not relevant. Yeah, I think that I think that's a good way to put it. That that is more what this is hitting at. I think that as as I've gotten older, I've I've gained the rock and roll of compassion, and the <laughs> there's nothing more rock and roll than compassion. The sick licks of empathy. <laughs> the badass drum solos of. Of wisdom. Of, of caring for other human beings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I feel like I rock harder than I did before. Good. That's that's the way you should feel. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you actually do or not is a different story, but that's <laughs> the way you should feel. Wow. Yeah. Just final note, how many times has this been played in concert, Omen? Oh, probably a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I- I'm going gu- to guess it's in the five or six hundreds. In toto? Yes. 884. Wow. 884. Only four four more times and it'll be uh, 888. That's right. Fairport Convention played it once, a cover by Fairport Convention. Ian Anderson, 208. And Jethro Tull, 675. Played 19 times in 76. And yep. then it, it kind of ebbed and flowed over the years. There was a sure. 52 times in 97 for some reason. And then most recently in 2019, it was played 42 times. Wow. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean, I do think that as Ian has gotten older, it's probably become more poignant for him sure. to play that song. And I'm sure there is there is some level of tongue-in-cheek acknowledgement with the yeah, audience of, 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 irony, of enjoy certainly. this. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that he wrote that song when he was you know, in his 20s still, mm-hmm. and now he's in his 170s. And he is still not too old to rock and roll. Clearly. And I think that that is the message that I take away from this song, Nick, is is much like as our good friend Dante Alighieri says, that that while we can see the stars, there is hope. There you go, yeah. If you are alive, you are by definition able to rock and roll whatever that means to you boy that dante he was ahead of his time they often call dante alighieri the, the jethro tull of uh 
of okay. medieval Italian literature. The the Ray Lamas of classic lit, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Omen. Yo. Anything else? I think that's a tidy sum that is too old to rock and roll for sure. Great. Uh, amazing song. I'm going to listen to this like three times more this afternoon. I think so, yeah. But he was too young to die. What have we got next week? Boy, howdy. Next week, we are we are coming to the close of this album proper. We are on track four off of side B. It is Pied Piper. Pied Piper. Well, we look forward to that denouement until next week. If you are too young to die, you are not too old to rock and roll us a five-star rating and positive review. The best way to leave a legacy in life is to leave us a review on our legacy. Get on the Harley Davidson of your keyboard and ride <laughs> like a bat out of hell to YouTube where you can recommend that people listen to our podcast on the Tull videos. I burned out the spark plug of that metaphor. That's, oh man, so many spark plugs gave themselves up to reach the end of that metaphor. It sure did. <laughs> Until next week, I am Nick McGill. I am Ever Omen Sade. <laughs> we are the legend and glory that is Feckless Momes. And this is the motorcycle that will never run out of gas. Talk tall to me. So I, I dropped off this, this bike last week, and it's still not ready? What's wrong with it? Ah, uh, listen, buddy, uh, okay, your, your catalytic converter is, uh, is, it's got chromium casings cracked on it right here. You see oh, right here? That can't be good. No, it's not good at all, buddy. And, uh, over here, your ball bearings are all, they're shifted 30 degrees to the left, which I don't need to tell you that, uh, that's gonna take a little while. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um... I, I mean, I, I know I was having trouble with the spark plugs. Did you figure that out? Or? Yeah, I did. Well, uh, your spark plugs were full of uh, of squirrels, which is... I didn't know that could happen. It's not standard. I, there's some okay. kind of a nest that got built in there, and uh, somebody chewed on the wires of your spark plugs, so we got to replace okay. them, and we got to find a home for all the squirrels that were in there. Okay, is that an extra fee, or like a rehoming fee for the squirrel? Uh, it's gonna be labor. Yeah, it's gonna be labor. Wow. Okay. Also, I I would recommend that you that you stop filling your gas tank full of tomato juice. Um, that I read somewhere that that like actually made it faster. Yeah, yeah, we get a lot of that in there. Got a lot, a lot of that in there. Didn't work. Okay. And you know the the absolute worst thing, and this is gonna, oh, buddy, it's gonna be so expensive. I gotta tell you, your muffler is full of talk told to me. But but I I heard that that was a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. It sure is, buddy. It but sure it, is. And that's a bad thing? Listen, let me take you down to the Paradise Steakhouse. We'll get some pan dance pancakes from my cousin Maj. We'll oh, cheer you up. I knew your voice sounded familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so the